In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 273. That's right. Marching on down the line. Uh, (laughs) Kind of. Uh, (laughs) We're definitely going to... Yeah, come on. We've got to hit 300 before the end of the year. Just just with just by playing catch up alone, we're we're guaranteed with 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 the issue reviews. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this episode, we are talking Star Trek Green Lantern Stranger Worlds issues one, two, and three. Um, yeah, we're we're not gonna because they're because IDW is doing this, and it's also IDW who's doing Planet of the Apes, right? Yes. Okay. As far as, as, far as so, I know, it would make sense that it's, I'm pretty sure it's the same. So with double shipping on uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps and Green Lanterns, with this title and with Star- with Planet of the Apes and Green Lantern, there's no way we can do this the same way we did before because before it was just one of each of these issues out a month, and that was easier to do. In this case, it's just not going to work. So what Mark and I have decided to do is just we're going to talk Star Trek Green Lanterns uh, in its own episode, and I'm assuming we're going to do the same with the Planet of the Apes stuff, right? Yes. Okay, so we're tackling one, two, and three of this uh, of this uh, issue. We, the, the subtitle of this is Stranger Worlds. The first subtitle for the first six issues about a year ago or so was the Spectrum War. Uh, in this case, it's now Stranger War. Uh, Stranger Worlds, sorry. Um, we're, you want to just hop right into it, or we got any preamble before we head in? Should we? Should we maybe? Re- no, I guess the issue does recap what happened before. I yeah, guess. I was going to say I don't think I don't think we just really have to do a full on a full on recap of the Spectrum War. They do kind of do they do touch on the basic points I think in the certainly in the first issue or two of what you know, to kind of reestablish where we are. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll just hop right into it. First and foremost, you have your creative team written by Mike Johnson, art by Angel Hernandez, colors by Alejandro Sanchez, letters by And World Design and production design by Neil Utaki, edited by IDW's publishing uh, Chris Serasi and Sarah Gatos and DC Entertainment's Jim Chadwick and Michael McAllister. Uh, These credits seem to remain the same from issue one to two and three. However, one notable change is in issue three, the colors are done by Mark Roberts and not Angel, uh, Alejandro Sanchez. So other than that, uh, the creative teams are the same for one, two, and three. <clears throat> 
So we open up at Starfleet, um, the Starfleet Academy on Earth. Uh, Hal Jordan, not Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, and Kilowog are sitting in front of a bunch of recruits, and they're kind of giving them the breakdown of what a lantern is, what a lantern does, and how it all works. Well, they're trying to, because Guy's the one leading this whole thing. Um, Guy kind of recaps what happened in the Spectrum War, how they get, how they arrived to this universe. You know, their universe was dying. Uh, it was uh, being consumed by Necron. Ganthet sent a handful of lanterns to their universe. Uh, theirs being all the folks at the Starfleet Academy. Uh, and Necron followed them, but they won the day. And, of course, Guy played a key role in all of this. Um, the instructor at Starfleet asked Guy to give a demonstration on what the rings can do, or tell them, rather. And Guy says, why tell you when I can show you? Flies up into the air and starts doing some construct stuff. And then all of a sudden his ring sputters and dies and he falls, but is caught by a crane uh, construct whipped up by uh, Hal, uh, uh, John Stewart. I keep wanting to say Hal, and I don't know why. Um, so uh, as Guy is uh, hanging by his feet, he's asking Hal, the, the Starfleet instructor. Meanwhile, later on afterwards, they, uh, they being John, Kilowog, and Guy are walking through and talking to one another about what's been going on with their rings. Evidently, Guy is not the only one who's been experiencing this. Everybody has. Um, and Kilowog also brings up the fact that maybe, since there's a lot of similarities between the universe they're from and this new universe they find themselves in, maybe he'll be able to find some Bolivaxians somewhere in this universe because he's feeling a little lonely. Then back out in the space, we see the Enterprise taking on a mission with Hal Jordan and Carol Ferris. They're, uh, they're rescuing a, um, a uh, deep space station off uh, in the d uh, Delta Quadrants, Beta and Delta Quadrants, uh, when Hal busts in to try and rescue some of the various uh, uh, crew members from the station. Uh, his ring starts to sputter, and just by sheer force of will, he's able to keep it online long enough to get everybody to safety. Uh, Carol's also starts sputtering out. She gets hit by an asteroid or debris, whichever. Um, and right before Hal's ring can die completely, Kirk has him beamed aboard the Enterprise, and the Enterprise flies away right as the space station explodes. Uh, Carol's getting checked up by uh, by the by the doctor. Bones. Bones, that's his name. I forgot. I wanted to call him Scotty, but I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I'd get lambasted. Uh, <laughs> Bones and uh, in in runs Monty, <laughs> who is Carol's new beau, um, and uh, as they call each other Darling and Monty, Bones says, "Well, I'll be a sun-stroked possum on a rock." That's a nice bit of syntax there, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so, as this is all going on, Hal's kind of getting lectured, kind of having a discussion with Kirk in Kirk's offices, saying, "You know, hey." Hal, I can't. You're not officially a member of Starfleet, so I can't give you orders. But at the same time, I'd wish you not take any uh, unnecessary risks. And they discuss the fact that the the rings have been cutting on and off uh, lately as well. Then we get a uh, report from uh, Uhura saying that Saint Walker has kind of gone off the grid. And Hal's like, "Well, this is something different. We need to go after him." Then, meanwhile, over on the Klingon homeworld. 
we see Sinestro kind of musing to himself also kind of about what's been going on with the rings and uh, how his how he's just sort of in a holding pattern. He's either waiting for his wing to recharge itself or go out in one final blaze with Jordan. And then meanwhile, there's a knock on the door. Some Klingons come in and say, hey, we have found so-and-so on the edge of the of the quadrant. And this is St. Walker. Uh, they uh, Sinestro and the Klingons have St. Walker in their custody. Then out in the Beta Quadrant, where they, uh, where uh, Kirk and crew have uh, sent out a landing party to see, kind of scope out the last area that St. Walker was at, they stumble upon a manhunter in the, uh, I guess, rocks and ruins of this of this little world slash moon. As Hal's explaining what a manhunter is, um, and the fact that. He says they were the precursors to the Green Lantern Corps and must have been transported over to this reality just like we were. And then um, Spock is reading the signs off of the Manhunter and says, unlikely. Scans of the Manhunter and this impact crater indicate that both are several years old. And Hal says, but if Ganthet didn't bring it over. And then that's when Sinestro shows up and says, precisely, Jordan, perhaps Manhunters have been in this reality all along. And if Manhunters exist here, so must the Guardians, and so must the planet Oa. Race you to it. And it's to be continued. Woohoo. Do you like this more or less than the prior uh, six issues, the uh, Spectrum War? Probably less. Um, oh, I, can, I can honestly say the first issue here even upon first reading did did very little for, very little to me or meant very little to me did nothing for me and it's it certainly made me think right off the bat and now that we've had the other uh, the next two issues already done and out at this point nothing's changed my opinion or this opinion which is that I really hope this is the last Star, Star Trek Green Lantern crossover for a while I'm not really yeah, I, I'm not quite. I'm not quite digging this dynamic. It doesn't help with the whole. And this follows. And this kind of follows through also in a different way in the Planet of the Apes storyline in the crossover when we get to that. I'm also, yes, there's a dog in the fight here, but I'm getting kind of sick and tired of the whole. Geez, we can't. We don't know what to do with Saint Walker, so let's have him be captured, crippled, or or worse every single time we're going to use him. I mean, that's getting friggin' old too. It's like. We, we can't figure out something for him to do, so let's have him heart and being incapacitated like he pretty much was almost the entire uh, Stranger Worlds. So far, he's pretty much in the same exact boat out of the picture in the first three issues here, and we, we know what happens in Planet of the Apes. So I so that, that's getting, on a personal level, that's old, and I just, I don't know, I'm not really digging this whole this whole time frame, interdimensional crossover the way it's the way it's working. I don't I don't think the Carol Ferris any, any port in the storm Carol Ferris is working for me either. Um I like this less than I did the first issue of the first series and I think that's just because of what the main uh plot is, I guess, for the this this uh, new six issues. Uh it gives me a very um uh lights out kind of feeling. You know, the rings are on the yeah. fritz. Why are they shutting down? We have to figure out that stupid mystery. Um, and quite honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, the six issues ends with something roughly analogous to the 
uh, resolution of Lights Out. I would not be surprised if there's a reservoir here that needs to be refilled as well. I don't know. Or something similar to it. Uh, talk about some of the similarities. The art. Uh, the art and the colors, particularly. Which is something that I really enjoyed the last time we did Star Trek Green Lantern. Um, I, I don't find any issues with it. I think there are times when things can look slightly odd. Um and I can't really give you a specific instance just yet, but there are moments that look kind of odd and moments that look, let's put it this way, there are more great moments than there are just one-off kind of bad instances in here. Um, not a lot of, act, despite the fact that there's a battle station slash space station or whatever exploding, not a lot of action in this issue. Um, just a lot of, reinforcing and re-reinforcing that all the rings are on the fritz. (laughs) That's true. Um, I do like the mystery of the Manhunters. I think that's cool. And to be fair, I think if they were going to continue this this crossover between these two properties, I think they picked, despite the fact that it's analogous to Two Lights Out in a way, I think they still pick something that makes sense if the Lanterns were going to continue to exist in this universe, then we would have to at some point address how they maintained and charged and their rings and, and how they did their thing. Yeah, and we did talk about that in the, last, in the last series. Right, that's true. So they are addressing something we knew that they would have to address if they wanted to continue it. So at least it's following a, a path here. Yeah, I can't argue that. That's that that is a that is a logical plot point that you had to address. You couldn't just kick the can down the road indefinitely because that was something that you could you could get away with it for some. You could get away with it probably for Saint Walker theoretically, since he never since the whole recharging with a with the battery thing has always been kind of super shaky with Saint Walker. It's only only for a convenient plot point like in Blackest Night and things like that have we ever seen him actually use a power battery. Most of the time, it seems that the blue doesn't really need the power battery to get charged. just needs to feel hope or trap into hope and or be around a green to be able to to be able to do what you need to do. But most of the others, yes, it it was it was addressed. I mean, I so I do that. I agree with the first the whole searching. I guess part part of the idea that, oh, there's a manhunter here that that absolutely means that, you know, everything has it kind of in a way they almost deal with it. I think in the uh, I, th- I think it's my issue they deal with it the idea that just because the manhunter's here doesn't necessarily mean that every single thing happened the same exact way in this universe you know so that's so that's I think that's a little bit I think that's a little bit shaky as we've seen in different time travel stories it's not like potentially maybe maybe the manhunter theoretically could have got pulled could have got sucked into this universe like a few seconds before. That everybody else got sucked in and just showed up because of the you know the, the, the time warp or whatever it ended up show arriving you know in the past you know didn't they didn't come through with the, the time stream at the same exact time so I don't know I I don't know I think it it isn't it isn't it is a mystery I just don't know if it's a mystery that's really going to be if this if it doesn't really sw- switch gears I don't know if it's this is going to be really worth a six issue series. As the is a is a major motivating mystery to try to, which hopefully will lead to them being able to recharge their rings again, whoever survives. But 
And some of the art, some of the art though, is really off in this issue. Look, I mean, Kilowog is pathetic. I think Kilowog looks okay. I definitely did notice the difference, but it's not like he's he's on model, but not the same. Does that make sense? Like it's like it's like if you gave somebody like a list of like five or ten different kind of artistic cues of what a Bolovaxian is supposed to look like, you come roughly close to it, but it's not the exact same as Kilowog has looked before. But he's still recognizably Kilowog. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess. More because though, because they throw in the... Because it, because he's being addressed probably as Kilowog and because of the, of the of his dialogue or the way he's speaking, his manner of speaking. If you just had to look at the... I don't know. If you just looked at the character, you would have you would probably guess he was Kilowog just by process of elimination, but not because it's you know he's a he's a dead ringer. I mean, I think I think in the art in this book, there's a couple of lanterns that it really that the the art is flattering to. I mean, Hal looks pretty decent, Carol looks pretty decent, uh, Sinestro looks pretty good too. I think uh, John is passable. I don't think Guy looks particularly good. The haircut on Guy is doesn't doesn't really work, I don't think. I think so. Kilowog doesn't work. Obviously, we know Lor- we've already established in the first series, Lorflees doesn't work. We've definitely seen worse atrocities than this, but but the main, I think the main strength of the art, his, this artist is simply the ability to capture the the Abrams verse cr- crew and making them making them look like their movie counterparts. Mm. <coughs> um, one thing I did notice, and I didn't. Uh, while you were talking, I was I was I was I was listening. I promise, but I was also googling. Um, That's I it. I'm out of here. <laughs> I zoomed in on the first page when uh, the very first page of artwork we see on Guy's shirt because I saw SFA and I was like, "What's that?" Guy's wearing a shirt that says SFA Fighting Phoenixes. Uh, you have more of a history with Star Trek than I do, so do you know what this is? Well, as in with the fe- the phoenixes themselves. Well, no, no, not not what a phoenix is, but like the SFA fighting phoenix, phoenixes. Do you know what that is and how it relates to Star Trek? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure what the what the nickname refers to. I'm pretty sure, based on what I've been able to Google, because I've been able to find this shirt online. Evidently, I guess it's. I don't know if it's. It's definitely a team. I'm assuming it's a football team in the Star Trek universe. And the only reason I bring that up is because we all know guys big into sports, and you know he was a big Michigan fan. That is true. So with Michigan out of the way, he's got to find a new team. So it's funny that he's uh, already adapting himself into this new universe by picking a team for himself. <laughs> but yes, the uh, SFA Fighting Phoenixes is a uh, is a callback to something. In the Star Trek universe, I tried to figure out more about it, but all I could find were links to where to buy the shirt. So, um, and I just thought, because I, I was like curious, it's so very clearly something. I had to see what it said so I can, I can get a good Google in. Speaking of the art being off in some places, that Ganthet. <laughs> oh God, yes. A Ganthet looks real weird. Um, Real strange there, but whatever. I like how Guy's a horn dog, which you know 
pretty consistent. Um, this space station, though, is this a space station or is this like a is this a, a port? Because remember, in the was it the first Star Trek movie when we saw the Enterprise launch off from something that looked a lot like this? And by the first Star Trek movie, I mean the first J.J. Abrams one. Didn't wasn't it like see these discs along the outside? Weren't those just attached starships that were about ready to launch? I and, still think I still think in this instance it's, it's a it's a space station. It doesn't mean that this that you, that the vessels can't dock. I'm sure they can. But I think it, it is a space station, not just a launching platform. Okay, okay. Because that's what I thought it – that's what it reminded me of is when the Enterprise first launched off from that that, that docking area in the first one. Um, anything else about – okay, do you think it's just timing or do you think Hal willed him his ring to stay online longer? We certainly would like to think it's Hal's willpower. I'm, I mean, I mean, and there may, and you're, you are where you're kind of going with this. I think you could be correct that there may be an out here about how to, maybe how to recharge their rings too, or related to the how they how the reservoir or the spectrum works in this universe. Yeah, I that's can't, where I'm going. But at the moment, I would kind of lean towards it could that it's possible that's the case. But I think there's probably at the moment more evidence that it, that. That maybe maybe his will kept it going for a second or two longer than it would for anybody else, but it was kind of like it was just timing. I got one final question before we move into uh, to your issue here. What in the hell is that construct that Hal whips up right after they see the Manhunter? Uh, what is that supposed to be? Hold on. Is it what the? Is it a book? What is it? It looks like a, almost like a cigarette pack. I like I don't know. Like what is that? Yeah, I'm not sure unless it's a monitor or something. I'm not I'm not sure what I'm really not sure what that is. It makes no sense. Like it's not a light. Unless it's like yeah, unless it's the book of it's supposed to be a book the book of Oa or something. But other than that, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, that's that's what I thought, but like even then, like make something, make put a symbol on it or something. It looks so weird. I don't know what that is. And I oh, and I do like how um, here on this very last page, I, I don't I don't know the name of it, but what's the what's the Klingon weapon? It's it's got some sort of name, right? You mean the sh- you mean the ship? No, no, no. The, 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 the oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Because Sinestro is making one with his his ring, right? Don't they don't they mention that in the next issue? Isn't that what they refer to the? Uh, is that the Batleth? Oh, the Batleth. Batleth. Okay, yeah. yeah. There you go. That sounds that sounds right. But I think it's funny. Uh, that or just interesting that I guess in, because they mention in here. Is it the double page spread? Let me see. Um, if my digital copy would actually. And load. All right. So, and yeah, it's the double page spread um, right above the, the the fight at the the space station. Um, we've been busy in the six months after the Necron incident, so it's only been six months since uh, all this has happened. 
but it's uh, I, I like how it's showing up with with Sinestro. Like you know, you can tell he's he's been here for a little while because he's starting to pick up on some things and mannerisms just like everybody else. So that was interesting. And, and Sinestro is a survivor. It's true. All right. Anything else you want to say about this issue? What did you think about the Carol and uh, Scotty? You know, right off the bat, I didn't realize that that was supposed to be Scotty. Like, speaking of, like, how some of these characters look off-model from what they're supposed to be, he didn't look a lot... He didn't look like Scotty to me. For... Not recognizably Scotty for a little bit. Uh, I caught on later on, but, like, right off the bat, I didn't realize it. But, yeah, I don't... Not a fan. Not a fan of it. Uh, I I would be more inclined to accept it if it wasn't so cheesy, lovey dovey. Because yeah, I mean, unless we're talking like silver slash early Bronze Age Carol Ferris, Carol Ferris was never a love struck, sappy woman. That wasn't her her mo. Yeah, she's definitely becoming Carol. Any port in the storm, Ferris, the way people have been writing her lately, in any in any story, and I, and it's not. I mean, not not hor. I mean, it's not horribly so, but and it's not a. And I and I can I can criticize this and not have to worry about oh, it's, I'm playing the double standard because oh, it's okay when Hal does it because the reality is if you really look at if you really look at the way Hal's been written for the most part since the Johns era, Hal really hasn't been the womanizing Hal. <laughs> Other than cow, other really than cowgirl, there really hasn't been much going on for and, the, and Carol, of course, going back to Carol, there hasn't been much in the and even that's been kind of so so. Yeah, uh, how's a flirt? But I I don't think I've seen anything from him like sleeping around or leading people on. Yeah, and and between the and, and and it's just who they're matching Carol up with too, and making it happen seemingly unnaturally just to make it happen for a plot point, whether it's Kyle and now whether it's, I mean at least Kyle. I, you could kind of see Kyle just because you know you're kind of in battle together, and you know you spend this time together with somebody close, and you share, go through the same experiences, maybe, you know. So, but the, yeah, the, the whole the whole Scotty thing is, and plus, as much as I like Simon Pegg, it's still kind of hard to picture. It. He's not he's really not Scotty to me, you know. I mean, he kind of yeah. he. I, some of his mannerisms, and yeah, you can kind of see the connective tissue, but to me, that's not really Scotty. And then could I really, I could, I could kind of see that, like the James doing Scotty more with Carol Ferris, than I could see Simon Pegg. <laughs> uh, issue two. Issue two. And luckily, before 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 you get into it, though, I have to say. I'm looking at a digital copy. You're looking at a digital copy too. No, a digital I have, copy I too. No, I have the issues. Okay. The cover of this issue. You do you have the cover with the Enterprise crashing in the it's background? It's in the front. Yes. Okay. Okay. Up at the very top, it says the Spectrum War was just the beginning. What do those three names right there after that say? Johnson, Hernandez, um, and Roberts. And what does the interior page say? Ah, uh, yes. There's no Roberts. It's Sanchez. Yeah. So. It, it did did Sanchez do the colors in this issue or did Roberts? Well, actually, Roberts is on the cover of the first issue too. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yep. Hmm. So, 
That's maybe, interesting. Yeah, maybe maybe something maybe something changed based on the game plan one way or the other. Either there's a credit that wasn't given, or or there was a planned uh, somebody was planning on doing more work on this book than they ended the series that they ended up doing. I don't know, but yeah, that's that's a that definitely is a good that's a good catch. I just wanted to bring that up since I said said at the beginning already what the creative teams were, so I knew you weren't going to be covering it. So, yeah, I was just going to say, luckily, luckily for me, I was going to say that there really wasn't much of a need to uh, to uh, go through the creative team because it matched the first issue. And looking at the three covers for this one, that was definitely the best cover. What this one? Yeah, to me, the Enterprise crashing with Sinestro on it—that's definitely because Lord knows the. Not so good Atrocitus and the crappy Larflees black and white variant isn't good. Yeah. And I guess the Carol Ferris Yahura one wouldn't be so horrible. But I'd have to see an enlarged version of it. <laughs> so to speak, but yes. Uh, Alright, so issue two of Stranger Worlds, we have uh, the narration by Atrocitus. You know, I, I need rage, only rage will keep my ring alive until I find a power battery. Once again, reiterating the fact that even poor Atrocitus is run, it, it getting close to running on empty. You know, he he lands on a he lands on a planet. You know, I sense great rage here, buried on a lost rock, the purest rage I've ever found. Now, hundreds of light years away, we have picking up where we left off. We have Sinestro and and uh, Hal duking it out. We have uh, the Klingons firing at at Kirk and company. Whatever well, that Manhunter, I, I like everybody's shooting in the Manhunters. Body is just sitting there, <laughs> which at least Kirk at least kind of addresses like in the next like the, in the next couple of pages. Like we 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 don't we need that to stay intact. Uh, I think it's Kirk who does it. So uh, you know, uh, Sinestro kind of offers you know in a way a, a partnership with Jordan. It's like you know, why must we go through this again? Why don't you join with me so we can you know we can so we can work together to try to restore our rings? And Jordan points out, well, why? So you could just basically turn around and stab me in the back. With with the batleth, but still, just in general, stab him in the back. He goes, I don't think so. And Sinestro's like, you know, you're paranoia. You know, it sounds like fear, Jordan. I'll, and I'll take all of that I can get. Uh, at this point, uh, at this point, uh, Kirk is talking to Yahura about, you know, we need some more security teams. When you beam some down, and Yahura's like they're jamming our sensors, Captain. And we, he said we'd be beaming them down blindly. You know, we can't lock onto the ships. Uh, Kirk is like, keep on it, Yohara. Spock is like, you know, I would advise returning to the Enterprise and reassessing the situation, which is kind of interesting if they're jamming the communications. Why, you know, what makes you think? Either way. Uh, the the Klingons end up going for the Manhunters, and that's when Kirk says, you know, hold your fire, we need that thing intact, as the Klingons pick, pick up the damaged Manhunter and take him away. Sinestro slams Jordan to the, you know, to the ground, and he goes, you know, should we ever meet again, Hal Jordan? Just remember that I gave you one last chance. And once the Manhunter was safe, you know, the, the Klingons and Sinestro leave. Uh, Hal flies off in pursuit of Sinestro, and he's like, uh, not this time, it, you know, it, it ends here. And Sinestro is kind of being choked by Hal, and creates an, I like the, yellow, the yellow construct chain that he tries to choke Hal with at the same time. The Klingon uh, bird of prey looks like fires a photon torpedo at Hal. It hits him in the shoulder. That stuns Hal. He basically, Hal is unconscious, and he starts uh, de-green de lantering as he starts turning into his civvies. Sinestro's like, 
Even your willpower has a limit. Goodbye, Hal Jordan, as Hal Jordan starts plummeting back down to the planet. But, of course, before he can crash, conveniently again, he is, you know, he is transported onto the Enterprise. We go back to San Francisco where Kilowog, Guy, and John basically are given this private briefing about because they should know, you know, basically they, they have a better idea of what this threat is and how to deal with it. And we see, and we see that it's atrocitous. You know, guys all pumped, you know, pumped, you know, wanting to do something about it. Uh, John's willing to go do it, but he's making the point that you have to basically, you we're going to need transports to get there because we can't rely on our ring power because just getting from point A to point B might use up all the juice that we have left. It's it's kind of interesting because guys, guys, after his uh, initial bravado, you know, guys kind of like, well, you know, we just got here, and as in he's kind of he kind of he really is enjoying it being at Starfleet. In San Francisco, it's like, uh, do we have to just leave? We just got here. We just got settled. And Kilowog, which is, I don't necessarily if it's 100% in character here, points out that we got a point here. You know, we could just basically wait for Atrocitus's ring to run out. That kind of seemed odd. J- John, of course, is, is consistent. And he goes, no, because we're still Green Lanterns and our oath remains the same. So unless you two want to deal with me, and instead of Atrocitus, pack your bags. On the Enterprise, you know, and I like the way Hal's drawn. I think Hal as Hal may look even better than Hal as Green Lantern. So Hal is kind of like lamenting, you know, that Sinestro played me perfectly. All he wanted was a Manhunter. Kirk's like, well, you're being a little hard on yourself. He's kind of played us both. But what does that? Ro- but you know, what does the robot get him? And uh, Hal's like, well, it's basically, it's confirmation. It's confirmation that if the Manhunters ex- exist in this reality, then then thus logically, supposedly. The creators, the guardians of the universe would exist, which would then mean that at some point they're probably making, if they haven't yet, they're, the remnants or technology or something along the lines of if the power ba- if they're here, the Manhunters, they were created, that there has to be something close to a power battery you know, in existence or theoretically. So it's something along that train of thought, if you believe it or not, whether that's really 100% logical or not. Hal points out, you know, Sinestro was never really able to conquer our universe, but clearly if, the, if he could be the first one to get to a power battery in this one, he'd have a head start. And Kirk's like, but you said the Manhunters were the precursors. That would make them centuries older in this timeline. And that's when uh, Spock chimes in and goes, well, to assume that because events in one reality must have occurred in the same temporal progression in a different reality is simply illogical, as Hal in- in- interjects. Precisely, Mr. Jordan. And that's what, and but, but like, do you know where OI isn't? But you know where it is, right? So let's just beat Sinestro there. And uh, but be, but because OI is in the center of the universe, and supposedly that is like way too far, even with a warp engine, for them to ever get to. I'm not sure about the logic in any of that. That's when they see Carol. Of course, Carol, Carol, and um, Scotty come onto the deck at this point, and they're holding hands. And and, Carol, and Hal's just kind of looking at this, and is like, oh, geez. And it's like. Uh, Cairo kind of justifies it by going, oh, well, it's only fitting that the head of Ferris Engineering should wear the red tunic, right? And Yohara is just kind of like ignoring all this. It's like, you know, there's a transmission from the USS Bryant, and it turns out that it's Hal. Excuse me, it's it's for Hal. It's John uh, hailing him to let him know that they're going after they're going after Atrocitus. And this is when uh, Hal informs them about the Manhunter, and that pumps Kilowog all up. It's like, like you mean that, you know, all, you know, you mean if there's even a chance at OS here, I mean, we might be able to recharge after all. 
you know, Carol was kind of pointing out, well, even if it does exist, there's not enough power left in our rings to get there. Surely Sinestro knows that too. And, you know, the, so they're all kind of basically hypothesizing about, you know, how to get to Oa, how to beat Sinestro, all this stuff. Back on, back on Kronos, we have Sinestro basically examining the Manhunter. And they, he realize, basically the, the experiments kind of indicate that this is still the, uh, it's an earlier version of the Manhunters that he knows, but the basic technology and everything is still, it's similar enough to indicate that, you know, that, it, you know, it, it made it here from suggested faster than light capability. If I can reactivate this model, and then we kind of see, you know, St. Saint Wa- Walker is like unconscious in the chair. And then you see Lord Fleece's hand reach for his blue lantern ring, which is a nice touch. And Sinestro just kind of, without even turning his back, turning around with his back facing Lord Fleece goes, if you touch that blue ring and you, you die. And Lord Fleece is like, oh, I'm just looking, Sinestro. But we find out Sinestro and Lord Fleece are kind of work, working together because pretty much Lord Fleece is going to help Sinestro be able to reach Oa. If Oa exists, he's gonna his his power ring is gonna help Sinestro be able to get there, and Sinestro and Lord Fleas are you know are are work together. The Manhunter sputters back to life. In warp speed, we have a uh, the Enterprise pretty much uh, comes upon, and then basically they're, they're being attacked by a, now a whole pseudo army of active Manhunters. Kill, now we, we switch to Kilowog, John, and Guy. They land on the planet where Atrocitus had felt all the rage. They go, they go through. They find, you know, they basically find a, uh, they find tunnels and everything. And then they find all these empty uh, containment or almost like uh, stasis chambers. Which of course you kind of as soon as you see this, you probably know where it's going. At this point. They, you know, when Kilowog says some kind of storage facility, we, we, we hear off page. In a manner of speaking, yes. Another word for it might be prison. A prison from which we are now free. I am Khan Nunian Singh, and you are. And we see the Cumber, the Benedict Cumberlatch, Cumberbatch version of Khan holding Atrocitus' red ring. Because Atrocitus clearly has gotten his ass kicked once again by somebody else. <laughs> to be continued. Benadryl Cumberbrunch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man. Uh, let's see. Uh, one thing I was going to say, and I was more going to scream it, but it's, you know, a little late over here and I have roommates. Um, speaking of characters drawn to look roughly like they're supposed to, as opposed to completely different than they're supposed to, Larflees has a snout. He's not some sort of werewolf were-beast. He does not have a flat, human-like face. He has a snout. I don't give a flying fuck who drew him like that during, was it, it was around Brightest Day, someone was dry out drawing him like this. Go back and read Agent Orange. Larflees doesn't have a flat face. But they are being consistent. Period. They are being consistent because we know he was drawn horribly like this in the first Star Trek miniseries. Yes. Still wrong, absolutely wrong. But but they are consistent in drawing him horribly wrong. I don't get it. Like I get subtle variations, like things like you know when you, somebody draws Sinestro, like how Vance Guyver draws him with the really elongated like head. Yeah, the classic Sinestro. Pretty much. Yeah, I I get things like that, 
But snout versus flat face, I mean, that is a clear difference. Like, that's not artistic choice. That is a difference from one to the other. I don't, I, I don't get it. And, and uh, you, you, you mentioned, uh, speaking of the Larflees pages, you mentioned a nice shout out. Uh, Larflees reaching for the blue ring because we know he always wanted one. Yes. But never got one. Nope. So, that's cool. Um, so, we think this means Carol's going to die? Why? Red shirt. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Uh, I still like to know whatever the hell happened to Indigo, how Indigo won never. Made. I was just about to say that. <laughs> this this will, this will be a full 12 issues in this universe. Where are the Indigo tribe? <laughs> Yeah, it, that that's that that clearly still bothers me. It would be nice unless 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 it's not an oversight and it's something that they're doing for a plot point perspective that they plan on doing something with Indigo, whether it's in this this storyline or God help us in another storyline they're going to be doing with the same team up. But it is an oversight. It doesn't make any sense why there wouldn't be an Indigo why there wouldn't be an Indigo that survived, especially Indigo One. But yeah, yeah. Um. Another interesting uh, thing, this is the second issue in a row now where Hal's had to have his ass saved by transporter technology. Yep. Hope that doesn't become a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a little too convenient in two back-to-back issues, though. I can't, They do try to set the stage where at least it's somewhat more acceptable to, that it happened twice because the first time, he, the first time it was because his ring was being depowered or he was his power was failing this time he was he was knocked unconscious even though again if it was if it was a classic green lantern ring it shouldn't even matter that he's unconscious as long as the ring is still on him he should still have his power uh but which is interesting i'm trying to see if i noticed it in this issue that though i did notice it in the last issue where hal's ring is hal's ring was very round almost like the ring that he's wearing now in uh and hal in the core the ring that he made if you go back to the yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. But speaking of things being similar to the way they are now, notice how John's acting in charge. Yep. But that's but that's in that's kind of in character though. That's that's always John's nature to do that, especially especially when uh, Hal's not there to, for it to be a, a real conflict at all. Hmm. Or, uh, so. And as far as Kilowog acting out of character, like you mentioned. Not, I mean, yes, but no, because they already in the prior issue they've already got Kilowog daydreaming about being reunited with Bolivaxians. So maybe he's just starting to settle into the idea. Well, you know, my ring is my ring is going out, but I'm in a new universe. I'm gonna try and make the best of it, you know. And he's already kind of settled into this mindset. Now, but which which is kind of supported by the fact that once he hears his ring can be recharged, then he kind of perks up. Again, but it seems like up until that point, Kilowog is just sort of resigned to trying to make the best of this situation in this new universe. I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything else. Do we even get an idea of how the Manhunters come online? Oh, the, the army of them? Or, or the one that Sinestro and Lorfleas are playing with, or both. I don't know. I don't really think. I don't think there's certainly no scientific explanation for why it happens. 
because we just have we have just Sinestro lamenting or or saying, oh, if I can figure out how to get this online, then maybe this is going to help me. Blah blah blah. But because, yeah, because it, it, there's no there's nothing here that indicates that it's something Sinestro did. No, it's, it's actually more implied that that it's almost that it, to me it was. I tried to because it wasn't perfectly clear. That's the way I kind of tried to uh, to to describe it. But it kind of to me it seems more like it's Laura Fleece who kind of brought it online. Which again, if you talk, if that were true, again, kind of fits into stuff that's going on right now because we saw Laura Fleece be, be able to bring that version of Brainiac online with his orange yeah. ring. So that would kind of be once again a little consistency in maybe the individual uh, characteristics of the different rings. Hmm. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention in the first issue that I wanted to mention here. I've always just assumed that the word bubbles for the various lanterns take on the hue of the lantern they're wearing, whose color they're wearing, just because it helps identify whose word balloon belongs to who. But in the first issue, when Guy is when Guy is talking, he's got regular word balloons. When he transforms into Green Lantern, he's got the word balloons with the green around it. When he fades from Green Lantern back to civilian, those word balloons t- go back to normal word balloons instead of with the green tint around them. Do we think that's supposed to mean something? I don't mean like something super like. In depth, but I mean, like, does it mean that you think the ring is amplifying their voices? No, I. To me, I think it's it's kind of more what you how you start your first hypothesis, the idea that it's 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 the color of the it's the color of the bearer. Uh, so I think that's I think that's the I think for the most part that's the reason. The only thing that would point one thing that would point to that maybe would be the get out of there Jordan when when they're right before the, he gets beamed aboard. If you look at that mm-hmm. word, if you look at that word balloon, that word bubble that is kind of like in red, so it kind of emphasize the exclamation. But it's also drawn differently too. It's not as round, so yeah. that's not your typical. But if you look at the typical uh, dialogue balloons, I think it is just to indicate that the that the power of the the color of the spectrum that their rings are that their ring represents that they're wearing at the time. So. Yeah, because I was I was thinking like you know don't the don't the rings you know they provide a shield around your body, uh, and in a glow and a protection you know from you know not just harm but like space the vacuum of space and stuff like that so you know maybe it's amplifying their voices to help help allow them to communicate outside of that shield <coughs> that automatically goes up when they're wearing when they're activating their rings. I don't know, but I but just the fact that their bubbles change when they're in lantern guise versus when they're in civilian guise, that's interesting to me. No, it's a good, it was it was an interesting question. It, it's it's not one hundred percent clear. All right. Well, anything else about this one? I don't think so. All right, on to the final issue for this episode, issue number three. Now we see Mark Roberts here as the colorist. We come upon the Manhunters attacking the Enterprise. Um, On the inside, the shields are holding, but not for long. Um, uh, Hal recognizes that there's a chance that the Manhunters can help them, as they could be the only chance to reach Oa. So Hal suits up along with Carol 
to go out to confront the Manhunters. Hal says, Manhunters, by the law inscribed in the book of Oa, I ask you to cease your attack on our allies. The Manhunter responds, all units cease fire. How do you know the book of Oa? The laws are secret and sacred. And the Manhunter, or Hal says, because I uphold them too. My ring was created by the same guardians who created you. Take a look at it and you'll see the truth. And the Manhunter scans it and says, the stranger speaks the truth. They are in possession of Owen technology. Manhunters eliminate the thieves. And as they're doing that, Kirk says, Sulu, I want a targeted phaser blast on each of those things. And Spock interrupts and says we can disable them without destroying them. And he wants to use the telemetry to uh, place each of them into a narrow band tractor beam, which he does and immobilizes them and uh, disables them from attacking. They can still communicate. The Manhunter says they won't succeed. Proceeds to say, no man escapes the Manhunters. And Hal says, yeah, I've heard it before. Meanwhile, several, several light years away, Khan is looking at the red ring from he pulled from Atrocitus. He says, you know, he's, he's kind of examining it, and then he's realizing that the Green Lanterns are wearing their own rings. And he explains that this monster made the mistake of demanding our obedience after he freed us from our sleep. His power was impressive, but it was no match for the strength of 72 augments, which is him and his people. He says, I sense a presence in, in the ring. It calls to me. Perhaps you can teach me how to wield it. And they disagree as uh, Khan slips on the ring to his finger. Uh, Guy wants him to hand over the ring. Khan says, so you're not Starfleet. Suffice it to say, uh, we were secured away from other for other safety, not our own, and we have no intention of returning to sleep. Guy immediately doesn't like him. <laughs> John insists he give him the ring, and uh, Guy says it's useless to you anyway, as long as Atrocitus is still alive, and he says, you don't say, and then steps his foot through Atrocitus' chest, supposedly, assuming, killing him. And that's when the ring activates and says, uh, Khan of Earth, you are chosen, and he lights up as a Red Lantern. Meanwhile, over on the Klingon homeworld, Sinestro is suiting up Iron Man style uh, (laughs) in in, in the uh, Manhunter armor uh, minus the head. Uh, and Mark's laugh is indicative of Larfleeze's point of view, as he says, you look ridiculous. And (laughs) Sinestro retorts, says the ugliest beast in the cosmos. (laughs) No, Larfleeze, what I have built from the scraps of this Manhunter is uh, is a thing of perfect beauty. Its technology will compensate for the diminishing power of my yellow ring, and I will seek out the Manhunter's teleportation gates to travel the great distance to Oa. Larfley says, and when you get there, and Sinestro says, I believe the Guardians have already constructed the central power battery. I will take its power for myself, and the Green Lantern Corps will never exist in this reality. And, as part of his plan, he needs Larfley's ring. Because he needs every iota of power he can find. And he says, and it's not as if you're not being handsomely rewarded in my absence. And Larfley's says, Vice Emperor Larfley's of the Klingon Empire does have a nice ring to it. It's a deal. So he hands over his ring to Sinestro. So now Sinestro has his yellow ring, Larfleeze's orange ring, and the Manhunter armor around him. Guy, John, and Kilowog take on Khan and the other augments. 
I guess that's what we're going to be calling them. Khan quickly gets hold of the um, way the rings work and uh, and makes short work of, of the Green Lanterns kind of suffocating them and then burying them under rubble uh, and flies off with him and his quote-unquote family. Meanwhile, back over at the Enterprise, the Manhunters are still in a stasis. Um, and as uh, Scotty's taking a look at the Manhunters... The Manhunter says the Guardians are the most advanced species in the universe. Explain how you are in possession of their technology. Hal explains the story that he's from another reality and so on and so forth. The Manhunter says you claim that the Manhunters betrayed the Guardians. This is impossible. And of course, that's because Hal told them kind of the story that the Manhunters betrayed the Guardians, and that's why the Green Lantern Corps exists. He explains further, and the, man, the uh, Manhunter agrees and says the Manhunters will intercept and destroy. Uh, uh, backtrack a little bit. He's explaining what's happening to Sinestro, and and that he's headed to Oa to get the central power battery and the power and so on and so forth. And the Manhunter says they'll intercept and destroy him. And Hal says, "Don't underestimate him. You've never faced anyone like him." And then they get a distress call, presumably uh, from 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 the Bryant, saying, "You know, it's basically where where John and Guy were. They beam down." To, uh, to, um, what the heck was this place even called? Did they even have a name? Have they named I it? Don't it think they, kinda... I don't think they named it. I don't think they did. So this underground bunker somewhere where they stored the augments and Hal and Kirk and crew take, uh, are, are confronted by, um, Khan. He says, uh, thank you for responding to my distress call. Hello, Kirk, Spock. Seems like only yesterday that we last met. That's what happens, I suppose, when you're thrown into the deep freeze. I'm so glad I awoke before we missed before we missed the chance to meet again. Now, shall we continue? And then, meanwhile, back over on the Klingon homeworld, uh, Larfleeze is scarfing down, and uh, he's asking, you know, what is what do you call this? And he says, "Targ, my lord." He says, "Good, bring me more." And it's most high and powerful Larflees, not Lord. And the Klingons walk off and say under their breath, this animal has no honor. It is he who should be fed to a Targ, and yet we must obey him. Such was the decree of Emperor Sinestro. And Larflee says, this animal's got ears, you fools. You're not lucky. You're, you're lucky I don't eat you. As for Sinestro, I got the better end of our little deal. He's chasing ghosts. And that's right when, uh, across the universe, we see... Sinestro arrive on in out in orbit of Oa and says hello again to be continued. And it looks like they tr- they actually just transport to the Bryant. That's all it is. Okay, so Khan has already gone up to the Bryant. Yeah, cause from it, wherever they were. Yeah, because right. Yahura mentions that the interior, but the, it appears the life support aboard the Bryant has been compromised, which is why they're all wearing the suits when when they when mm. they beam over all those. Start the uh, Starfleet personnel. All right. So, do you have a problem with the fact that even though he's wearing his yellow ring and a Manhunter thing, that he's just able to take Larflees' ring and use it no problem? A little. Well, I mean, let's be honest. There's a whole, if, if there's a whole lot of this A to B to C thing about Sinestro's Sinestro's plan with the Manhunter 
armor, or the Manhunters, really meaning the Manhunter armor, really meaning it's it's kind of questionable. I mean, because basically he he goes uh he goes Thal uh Thal Stark over here to make that to make that armor and everything, and he doesn't even wear the helmet, and he fly and he's able to fly, and somehow that he's able to fly across to the center of the universe, which nobody else seemingly is capable of doing in this in this universe. And I I don't know, it just seems I don't know. Even even using that you know that whole teleportation gate thing, I don't know. I yeah. I, I think it's all kind of it's 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 a little half-assed. I mean, I think really, but and Laura Fleece is a little too quick to give up his ring, regardless. Yeah, but it sounds like he's got. I mean, even if Larflees had a plan, I never see Larflees getting rid of like letting go of his ring. Even if there's a a plan in place for him, although I will say this: as much as I load with every fiber of my being the fact that they did something where you know Larflees looks the way he does at least he's kind of a threat here yeah uh he's he's smart he's capable and clearly it seems he has a plan i would say that's true so that's that's interesting um otherwise Look, guys, I don't have much of an attachment to Khan. Don't really care that much. I did like, what was it, Into Darkness? Yes. It was a relatively good movie. Uh, I liked Benedict Cumberbatch's portrayal of the character. And I was like, oh, cool, Khan's here when he first popped up in this issue. But that um, luster wore off pretty quick. I don't care for the idea of Khan being the big bad for this issue or series. And you know what? To put it bluntly, let's say Khan, because clearly the rings going out and Sinestro being getting to Oa before they do, so on and so forth, figuring out uh, what the history of the Green Lantern Corps or at least the Guardians is in this universe is kind of like the main overarching thing. Adding Khan as like the main villain of this series doesn't really make sense. If you've only got six issues to tell the story, again, we're kind of running into the same issue we did um, when we when we were covering the Spectrum War. Because remember, there were so many different elements happening. We were wondering how they could possibly wrap them up in six issues. Yeah. So I feel like we're kind of getting into that territory here, but it makes it doesn't make sense in both ways. No matter how you think of it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense with all you have going on already to introduce Khan in the third issue as this big as the big bad, the, the new bearer of the red, and throw in all the augments. It also doesn't make sense if you are making him a big bad. Because they've only got two or three issues to completely dispatch him. I, like, I don't know. It, I feel like no matter how they do it, it's not doing justice to the way the character is, is supposed to be, I guess, revered in the Star Trek universe. But they don't really have to. They really They're have kind of to. cheapening him, aren't they? It depends. They don't really have to dispatch him because, you know, at the moment he is the only red ring bearer, so he could he could still end up being the only red ring bearer at the end of he, – he could be a dangling plot thread. 
to to, to deal true. with to deal with at you know so especially depending on how the spec where we where we leave off with the spectrum and whether it's recharged whether they can recharge their rings i think it's i think it's more of a problem with how how easily you know, he dispatches all the lanterns how he kills atrocitus even though the atrocitus thing you can the atrocitus thing i think you can give a little bit because they atrocitus's ring is wonky so even if the ring alone could create you know could create enough napalm for him to puke all over these guys, that he probably would be a problem with a numbers game. But you know, we've kind of seen we've seen Atrocitus get his ass kicked so much in the last like two to three years that it's kind of losing its luster again. That Atrocitus yeah. is another character, much like Arkillo when we get to that. Atrocitus is another character who's lost who's lost a lot of his rep and really desperately needs to get it back for him to be as cool as he used to be. And plus, there's inconsistencies here. It's like if he's got if he's got the red ring off his finger, then theoretically he should be quote unquote dead already, since the red since the ring replaces your beating heart. Yeah. So, so same thing like when when Lorflees gives away his his orange ring, should he really be still in his in his orange lantern uniform? I guess you could try to explain that away because of how how much orange energy he's absorbed over the years that it might give him a residual effect, at least. But still. You know, he seem he needs he really needs to have the ring to be able to do anything. So why why would his uniform stay? I don't know. Yeah. I like this it's, issue. I did like this issue. I think better than some of the others though that we've covered so far. I mean, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, There's more revealed, more uh, interesting things happening. But I think that's more of a. It's. It, it kind of has to be at this point. Uh, yeah. Revealing more. So. Anything else you want to say about it? I feel like there's, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what I want to say about this particular issue. I feel like it was in this particular one. I feel it was like it was kind of all on the page there. I did like the Manhunters. I did like how the Manhunters were. If there's such a thing as a warmer, fuzzier Manhunter, they, we kind of get a little bit of a hint of that. Maybe they were more autonomous. Yeah. Yeah, because they're not. Because simply put, they're not. They're not corrupt. As far as we know, they're not corrupt yet. So, this is how they were created to be. How they could have been, you know, potentially, or the early stages of what they maybe could have would have eventually grown into without, you know, Krona playing games. So, it was. I mean, I'm kind of curious to see what the deal is with Oa. I'm kind of curious to see where exactly they are in their development of the, of the light technology. And you know the spectrum technology, but I'm also curious to see how that's going to work. I mean, what? Because here's another thing too, because you, you mentioned lights out, but it's almost like tying back into relic too. The idea that are we going to have a central power battery that's green that anybody can that anybody can get a charge off of? Are we going back to that kind of idea with the light pyramids, where basically you get enough of any color that you can basically change the power battery to be the color you need to recharge? Because why? I mean, why would Sinestro be able to complete? I mean, unless unless there's a unless there's a spare Green Lantern ring floating around, why would he be able to recharge himself fully with the central power battery? Unless we think because the Sinestro core ring is clearly based on basic Owen technology, that that's going to be enough of a of a, a gateway to, to give him a to be to be able to le- you know leech leech and draw the energy out of the central power battery. Right. I mean, but still, I mean, even that's kind of even that's kind of shaky unto itself. So. We'll see. I I do like this issue better than the other two. I don't necessarily. 
this, how I feel about this series probably will greatly depend on how it ends, I think. I, I mean, I didn't like how it started. I'm not overly thrilled with it. I'm kind of Star Trek Green Lanterned out. So my my distaste for this series or this, this team up will probably it will either be alleviated by a good ending or it just will be uh, my dis, my dislike for it will grow incrementally I guess if it's if the ending is another kind of half-assed completely open-ended thing just so we can do Star Trek Green Lantern 3 next year yeah I'm gonna be I'm, I'm gonna be honest I don't like it as much as I did the first one but I'm still really enjoying it I was excited when they announced it uh, I'm relatively pleased with what I see, but I think my problems that I currently have are just the fact that I don't know where we're going right now, and I want to see issue four or five and, and see a little bit more of the reveals and a little less of the setup. I think that's nicely put. All right. Anything else you want to say about these three issues or this issue in particular? No, uh, I I am kind of glad, even though this was not our original plan, but I'm kind of glad we kind of, quote-unquote, were forced into doing three issues in one episode instead of the usual 2-2-2 split, like how we've been doing issue reviews. So instead of having three episodes for Star Trek Green Lantern, we're only going to have two. I don't, I think that may, I think everything works for a re, works out for a reason in the way it's supposed to, and it's kind of good that we're, based on different things we've fallen behind in our recording schedule so to try to speed things along to cut this into two you know basically we do this now now we don't have to worry about basically doing Star Trek Green Lantern again for like another couple of like a month and a half or so two months two and a half months probably because I think the next issue is just about to about to come out uh, so yeah I'm I'm we'll see like I said I mean Planet of the Apes didn't thrill me all that much yet either but I'm kind of I'm more interested in the Planet of the Apes as a property, so I'm kind of, and plus that's completely new and the dynamic is a little different, so I'm a little, though again, the way that's set up, the first issue, there are a lot of things not to like in the first issue, but we'll delve into that once we, and I don't know if we determined whether we're doing that in two or three format yet, probably three the way things are going, but. All right. Well, guys, we're going to take a quick promotional break, and when we come back, we got a couple little topics to discuss, and then we'll close out the show. Listeners, it's your friend PJ Frightful. That's PJ as in podcast jockey. And I'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks. When the clock strikes midnight, the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of DC Comics. Those supernatural sagas of Swamp Thing, Dead Man, The Spectre, and more. The podcasting hour. It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. Prepare for the unexpected, open a doorway to nightmare, and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full, and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beware. 
take the earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. Justice League International, Bwahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Atom. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, guys, we are back from break. Uh, just want to discuss a little bit of things because, you know, it seems like we got to tack on something at the end of every episode nowadays. Uh, <laughs> um, we got two different Marvel things to discuss. Uh, well, technically three, but two of the three involve the exact same character. Uh, Mark, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about Iron Fist, right? Yes. So you want to start? Well, with- I, yeah, let's start, let's start with that. I, I, for the record, guys, I haven't seen it yet. Um, as we record this, today is what the twenty first, twentieth, twenty first, twenty first. Yeah, so it's the twenty first. I haven't seen it yet. I've got it ready to go, but I just haven't started watching it yet. Uh, I haven't yet settled back in a groove perfectly since I got back from Portland. So, um, or just let's say the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so uh, I haven't I haven't started it up yet, but. Uh, but my, I know Mark's kind of wanted to say a couple couple words on it, so go ahead, man. Yeah, I, I figured it would take you to, a while to get settled from your National Lampoon's Pacific Northwest vacation. <laughs> uh, now, with, see, see, with Iron Fist, this is this is what it, people. I think people. Well, I think people are a lot of things, but let's just. But the, the thought that came to mind was, was people are funny, <laughs> but that made me think. Well, I think people are a lot of things usually. I find it. And it'll be interesting to see your perspective on this when you watch it. Now, I've made it clear that I'm not – I did not go gaga over Daredevil the way a lot of people did. 
that I I still had not watched the entire first season of Daredevil. I had a lot of trouble getting through the first four or five episodes before I just called it quits, and then didn't revisit Daredevil until I think I watched mm-hmm. till the second season came out, watched the last episode of the first season, and then watched the entire second, which I did still kind of like. Did watch Jessica Jones, did watch Luke Cage. I don't think any of those shows are perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I kind of it kind of surprises me on some level that. I, and, and I'm not talking. I'm not even. And I'm not even going to delve into like the choreography aspect of the fights because that's a whole different area and that's a whole different criticism I think of the show. But one of the things a lot when this show came out like less than a week ago now I think on, on St. Patrick's Day I think is when it was released that a lot of the criticism about the show was supposedly how slow the show was. And honestly, to me, I don't get what I don't see how that's a fair criticism of the show. The first episode isn't overly fast, fast-paced, but a lot of stuff. Even in the first four episodes, there's a lot of plot points that get resolved in the first four episodes. And now, as we speak, I have watched nine episodes and I'm about to enter episode ten. But I think they've done a good job with the pacing and resolving certain plot points, reintroducing or introducing new ones, and keeping the story moving. That I would have to say, directly compared to Luke Cage, which I think we all, most most people I think agree with Luke Cage, that despite how good the show started overall and how good the character is, the show was kind of dragging towards the end. Just like most Marvel shows, I think, I, you know, I think we've talked about this before, that Marvel, the Marvel format on Netflix probably would be better served to be 10 episodes instead of 13. I don't think you need... 13 episodes of these shows. I think there's too much. Saying that, that being said, as I'm entering episode 10, I don't find this series for season dragging on. I think, you know, the Colleen Wing character, which every almost everybody at least seems to have gravitated towards, and how much they like her. She is she is great, which is kind of funny because much like the star, you know, what what uh, was it Finn Jones? I think is the star of the show, much like the star of. Danny Rand himself, uh, Colleen Wing, they're both uh, Game of Thrones uh, veterans since she was one of the she is one of the Sand Snakes. That her character is great and their interaction is great and I I like for what it is, I like the show. I mean, first of all, Danny Rand is as, is at least as likable as Luke Cage. Probably, arguably more so, but at least on the same level of likability as Luke Cage, which which automatically means those two are your most popular, quote-unquote, your most likable defenders, because Jessica Jones you couldn't like if you, if you had to, and I don't think Matt Murdock is super likable in the show either, So in, the, in, in the, that shared universe. So I, so he's really likable. I think, I, I don't know, I think the, like the fight choreography criticism is, is different. I think that then, then all the, the, the show was slow, and it's hard to, and it, I don't know, I, I thought Jessica Jones was the first episode was really slow, and again, based on her character and everything else, as I've said before, I was just close to giving up on that show in the first episode. I just stuck to the end when you kind of got the twist, I think, at the end of the first episode, and that made me stick, stick through it, and you take David Tennant out of that show, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it. You know, your main character ha- has to be one of the draws to the show, and Jessica Jones, it, it really wasn't to me. So, and Luke Cage was a cool character, and I thought a lot of the cast was good. But you know the show kind of dragged on. So there's a plus. Of, there's there are a lot of East, a lot of re- references not just to Luke Cage but to other aspects of the you know the shared 
Defender universe. I like it. I think it's good. I don't think the critic. I don't think the slow criticism is fair. So I, I'm enjoying it so far. I'd probably say this is the at least through nine complete episodes. This is probably the the, the Marvel Netflix show that I've liked the most. So, so I'll just be curious when you watch it to see how how you you know how you uh, what your assessment is. Yeah, I'll probably watch it either the this coming Thursday. I should be off work then, or uh, or Sunday. Um, I don't think I'll be able to do it all in one sitting. I don't think I've done that with any of these. Um, I think the first one maybe that I got close to was Daredevil, but um, no, I, I like all of them so far. I have no issues with any of them. Uh, uh, the only one I could say is Luke Cage towards the end. The uh, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, uh, so I'll just say the. The villain shift. Uh, Was a mistake. Yeah, the villain shift. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say a mistake, but the the way it was done, at the very least, was uh, was odd. It threw me off. Um, But uh, one of the things I've been doing is I've been collecting various things, and one of my favorite things is uh, down here in Texas. There's a there's an art gallery called Mondo. And Mondo has a lot of really good uh, limited edition screen type prints. Uh, I've got several of them on the wall behind me right now. Um, but they also do vinyl printings, like limited edition vinyl releases. And they did a vinyl release for the soundtrack of Daredevil Season 1, a vinyl release for Jessica Jones, and a vinyl release for uh, Luke Cage. And I've got the Daredevil and the Luke Cage. I hope to get the Jessica Jones at some point. Uh, and hopefully they'll be coming out with an Iron Fist uh, because it'd be really cool to have all four of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just I think top to bottom, I mean, it's just the reason I bring that up is is so I can emphasize from top to bottom. I love all these shows because it's not just the it, the show itself. It's the, the, I think the music is fitting. I think um, one of the things, oddly enough, I, and obviously I'll, I'll notice I'll I'll get a feel for this once I start watching Iron Fist is daredevil the intro just 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 the, the just the credits the intro uh scroll uh, uh, or the way that works that was amazing i love the way the jessica jones one did it it was very fitting for the type of show they were trying to do it worked extremely well with luke cage i'm just i mean just like i said top to bottom i really enjoy all these so everybody calling this iron fist show a complete flop or marvel's first flop or whatever um, and just, you know, flat out bad. I don't, if it is, I'm, I'd be, I'd be literally shocked. No, not literally. That's, that's, that's a bad use of the word. I, I, I'd be shocked because to go from, you know, top to bottom, you know, good choices all around to just a horrible, horrible show. I'd be stunned if that happened, but I guess we'll see. That is true. Guess we will. All righty. Moving on um, to something uh, I know Dan Kurtzke doesn't give two flips about <laughs> because he's always teased me about it. Venom. Oh, yeah, Venom. Um, oh, first of all, by the way, just because uh, we're mentioning uh, movies that were on track at one point, then were taken off the slate and now are back on track. Gambit's supposedly back on track, too, by the way. 
So, but that was a while back that we got that news, right? Like about a month or two ago. I don't remember actually hearing that it was back on track. Yeah, I think it's back on track now. Uh, I saw that. I saw that pop up on my feed the other day. Um, but I am on uh, MovieWeb.com, and what I'll do is I'll start with the the I'll start with the the movie related news. Uh, so MovieWeb.com released this uh, article uh, about five days ago. As I read this, Spider-Man get spinoff Venom gets a fall 2018 release date. So I'll just really read it here. Just hours after a fan theory surfaced suggesting that upcoming sci-fi thriller Life is actually a Venom origin story, Sony Pictures has set a release date for their Spider-Man spinoff. The movie will hit theaters October 5th, 2018, the same date that Aquaman just vacated hours ago. So yes, uh, DC has pushed back their Aquaman solo movie. The studio also uh, pushing the girl in the spider's web from October 5th, 2018 to October 19th, 2018. Sony also announced that Alex Kurtzman will direct the Venom standalone movie. Now, before I go any further, do you know who Alex Kurtzman is? I'm just actually asking. I I didn't do any research. I have no idea. The name sounds familiar. Okay. Evidently, he'll be directing the Venom standalone movie. But again, guys, these things change so often. Directors and stuff, who knows if that will remain the same. It says, the news comes from ERC box office's Twitter, which arrives just a few weeks after we reported that this Venom movie was getting back on track with Dante Harper from Edge of Tomorrow, Alien Covenant, writing the script. That report revealed the project will have no connection to Spider-Man Homecoming, with the studio hoping to launch their own Spider-Verse franchise after this movie comes out. Alex Kurtzman's involvement is not terribly surprising, since he was originally set to direct before Venom before Sony rebooted Spider-Man alongside Marvel. Um, so it talks about how they were originally planning to do a Venom movie, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, the Venom movie is, is back on track and then it goes on the hist- the, the history of Venom himself, uh, and all of this stuff. But yeah, it was very interesting how this all happened because it was a fan theory that this movie life, which comes out, I mean, what this weekend, right? Yes. Is a Venom prequel movie that the, and, and I was, I was looking up, um, articles and i took a screenshot of them before we started recording um with the writers of life and how they were talking about um you know they were asked about it and they said uh uh the the writing duo for of 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 the movie life it says yes the answer is yes we are tied to venom we are the prequel to venom but you know obviously they were kind of joking around when they said that he said, Reese says that one reason is that the screenwriting pair, quote, wrote a Venom screenplay. So I think people saw that connection, unquote, although that particular screenplay never saw the light of day. Uh, quote, they also saw the Spider-Man 3 footage that sneaked its way into our last trailer, unquote, he said. Spider-Man 3 is the only Spidey film in which the character Venom uh, actually appears. But that quick second of Spider-Man 3 footage in the life trailer was likely just a case of a studio or trailer editing company dropping a uh, or tra- case of a studio or trailer editing company dropping a piece of stock footage into the video and not expecting internet sleuths to pinpoint its origin. In other words, it was likely just a simple editing choice, not a clever hint 
uh, to something something deeper. So, yeah. Um, they're all denying it and everything. Um, but um, what do you think about this rumor? First, first of all, okay. So there's no disputing. Venom is on track. There will be a Venom movie. That part is not in dispute. Uh, according, I mean, whether it actually happens or not, because it was on track before. Whether it actually happens or not, we'll see. But I mean, 2018 is really soon. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of just in terms of movie making mm-hmm. and releasing and production and all that stuff. I mean, you know the movie side of things. You pay more attention to that than I do. So it's really soon. So it's for them to be saying it's back on track and announcing a release date this quickly. I, whether they meet it or not is one thing, but it seems like they're be, they're pretty serious about it. But what do you think of the life side of things? I can't imagine it being a. I can't imagine it, imagine it really being a prequel without them confirming it to try to get people to increase the odds of people are going to see the movie. Because I don't think life might get a little bit more of an of interest. You know, people might have a little more interest in seeing it than you would have originally thought. But I, it's hard to imagine is that movie doing particularly well, especially because of all the stuff that it has to deal with competition-wise. Uh, so you would think that they were going to try to do this, you know, covert prequel that they would want you to know it, kind of like how Blair Witch, Blair Witch wasn't Blair Witch until the summertime, until Comic-Con. And then they made it clear that, oh, yeah, The Woods was actually is actually Blair Witch. It would be like them not telling you that it's Blair Witch until the, at all during the entire build-up to the movie and even after it first comes out. Oh, yes, it's after the fact. Yeah, we'll confirm it was, it was a – because you, you would want the recognition to draw to increase the interest in the movie. Uh, Columbia, I think, does have a relationship with Sony, and Life is a Columbia, and Life is a Columbia movie. Because I think if you go back to the original Spider-Man movies – I think they were Columbia. I think they were released. Or I had ties with Columbia, I believe, the the Tobey Maguire movies. I think. Uh, so I guess that's not necessarily the fact that Columbia is listed as a studio and not Sony. I don't think that that's necessarily the kiss of death to say it's it couldn't it couldn't be true. I don't know. I mean, I, unless it's going to be very 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 loose connective tissue, I'm not buying it. I tend to. I don't tend to think they're going to meet. No, what, that deadline is that release date is what the fall of 2018. Yeah, October. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, here, here we are. We're about to. We're going to be entering April. They, they don't have a completed script. Seemingly, they don't have a cast. They do have a director, but they would have to move really, really fast this movie into production to get to absolutely allow themselves. The, I mean, it's not. They theoretically could probably start filming this movie towards the end of the year and still be okay to meet, you know, an October of 2018 release date. But this is going to have to come together really quick if that's going to happen. I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, look how long for the longest time that World War Z Part 2 was on the release schedule for this year, even though there was no cast, you know, there was nothing, you know, (laughs) there was, there there was nothing going into, not even a hint that this movie was going back had a pr- production date yet, and yet the release date was still like June for of 2017 for the longest time. It's like you knew that movie was never gonna be was never gonna be released at the and made in the time frame uh, it was supposed to be. Much like all these Avatar sequels keep getting pushed back. I don't know. I 
I it could be interesting. I obviously you'd think they would want to be able to connect it to these Spider-Man movies at some point. Maybe they want to. I mean, you would like to think that they would work that out with Marvel too, because that would kind of be an a good idea to 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 do that. Because uh, obviously you could bring other characters in to deal with Venom as well. But I don't know. I think it makes sense that Sony isn't quite trying to give up on their shared Spider-Verse kind of thing. So maybe if they figure they can develop some of the other characters, and and if Marvel and Sony combined establish that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is super successful, then it makes it even more appealing to have him cross over into it. Having movies based on villains is always shaky. Uh, but I guess it depends... It might depend on who who they cast, along with who who we think is going to be Venom, which is part of the rumor too. You know whether it's going to be Eddie Brock or not. Yeah, um, it can be worse than Spider Man Three. Um, yeah, probably that's probably true, but you never say never. Yeah, uh, it's interesting though because uh, GameSpot.com had an article about this as well. They said last year reports came in that the Venom movie was moving forward with Dante Harper from Edge of Tomorrow, writing the script, which is the same thing I just read before, but it added in the fact that it was from last year. Um, from uh, CNET.com, though, I'm seeing screenwriters Scott Rosenberg and Jeff Pinkner, who work together as writers on the upcoming Jumanji reimagining, will write the script, Variety reported. So I'm getting some conflicting reports of who is writing the script for this new Venom movie. Doesn't really bode well, though, when one of your options is somebody who penned the uh, Jumanji reimagining script. Oh, we haven't seen the movie yet, so. Well, still. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the Jumanji. I, I mean, I'm probably going to go see it anyways, but I'm looking at the Jumanji remake the same way I uh, was utterly uh, uh, not shocked by the poor quality of the Goosebumps movie, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, now, it, Mark brought up the fact that um, uh, that uh, we don't know which Venom. Uh, is it Eddie Brock or is it a new Venom? Well, the reason uh, we don't know what Venom it is is because this summer, Venom is going to have his own comic event. I'm over on Newsarama right now from an article published in January, actually. He says, Venom comes full circle for summer Marvel story arc. Uh, the original Venom, Eddie Brock, is returning to the symbiote in April's Venom number six. So that's next month, guys. Um, as of right now, I have the first three issues of the new Venom series. Right now... Venom is, uh, God, and I just read it the other day. Venom is a new guy. Um, and by a new guy, I mean a new guy. Uh, somebody we have not seen before. This is not Flash Thompson. This is not uh, Eddie Brock. This is somebody completely new. Uh, that actually, instead of, you know, a wearer of the Venom suit trying to uh, struggling to control, uh, you know, Venom controlling him, this guy is somehow able to tell Venom what to do. Um, and that's not a good thing. Um, so it says, back in December, Marvel announced a Venom 150 issue coming in May with the biggest Venom story in 10 years. Um, 
The February solicited Venom number four, which I haven't read yet, promises that both Spider-Man and Mac, uh, Mac Gargan will appear in that issue of the series, meeting the symbiote's new host, Lee Price. That's his name. Uh, there are plans for Eddie Brock in relation to the book as well, which factor into a momentous occasion planned for Venom. I can say we do have plans for Eddie Brock. I can't say what they are, but stay tuned. In terms of uh, in terms of other editorial goals, if readers look closely, there's an anniversary of some kind coming up, and it's kind of a momentous occasion. May 2017 would be the 29th anniversary of the debut of Venom from May 1988's Amazing Spider-Man 300. The symbiote itself debuted four years prior in Secret Wars number eight. Now, the reason that's a big thing is because Venom will have his own storyline this summer. Uh, from the Outhousers uh, website, it's uh, Edge of Venomverse, um, which is interesting because Spider-Verse was a thing, the Spider-Verse series. Before Spider-Verse came out, the issues leading up to it were called Edge of Spider-Verse. So I'm wondering if we're going to get more than just this Edge of the Venomverse thing. So that's interesting. But kicking off this June, Edge of Venomverse unleashes sinister symbiotes across the Marvel Universe, wreaking untold havoc and wanton destruction. Featuring some of the most popular characters from Marvel's or from March Venom from March's Venomized Variant program. A lot of the variants this month of various Marvel titles are featuring Venomized versions of those characters, by the way. This incontinuity series brings you a deadly new brings you deadly new venom combinations giving fans dream matchups from some of the comic's hottest creators. The Marvel Universe is about to play host to an army of Venomized heroes, but on whose side will they be on? Uh, look for more information, including characters and creators to be revealed soon. Edge of Venomverse number one explodes into the comic shops everywhere this June. And so the promo image of this, um, you can see... Uh, Wolverine, you can see X-23, you can see Iron Man. Uh, is that Deadpool? I think that's Deadpool. Yeah, he's got swords. Uh, Deadpool, um, all of these people venomized. I don't know who these other ones are. I sent you the image, didn't I, at some point? Uh, I think you did. I can't tell who some of these other ones are. Not my context clues, at least. But, uh, yeah, so everybody makes fun of me for all the, my love of Venom, but it seems like uh, 2017 slash, if the movie comes through, 2018, or it's the year of the symbiotes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like Venom and Carnage, and Carnage to a lesser extent, because, I mean, I know he's a symbiote and everything, but at the same time, like, just a strict, like, savage, serial killer type villain... Yeah, they're cool sometimes, but I mean, it just, it's, it's not really compelling. So, but Venom, I mean, Venom's got layers. And the thing, the thing I like about this, this comic event coming up here with, uh, Edge of Venomverse and, and the, at least the current Venom series that I'm reading right now is Venom is, um, the last time I read anything involving Venom was, the um, Guardians of the Galaxy series right before, oh shit, was it called Dark Circle or something? I don't know. Um, I know there was a Marvel event called Dark Circle, but I don't know if this, if what I'm talking about was 
around it, but I think it is. Anyways, the last time I read Venom, he was a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they were about to – the Guardians uh, were about to go to the planet of the symbiotes. And Flash Thompson was the guy who was uh, <clears throat> was wearing the Venom symbiote. And he was just kind of barely holding on. But when they get down there, you, you're, you kind of, you're kind of, it's kind of revealed that – and I don't know how to say it. Mark, maybe you do. Is it Klinatar? It's the name of the species that Venom is. It's like K-Y-L-N or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Vaguely, I don't remember. I don't remember seeing the seeing it enough to know. Yeah, it's like Klinatar or Klintar or something like that. They're not an evil species. It's just that Venom has been separated so long or uh, corrupted by his hosts that he's kind of forgotten what he was. And I kind of, I actually, as much as I like Venom and the. He's the lethal, you know, the lethal protector. You know, that was the name of a Venom series for a while. That he is. Uh, he's also been kind of an anti-hero villain. As much as I like, I did like this new twist to him. That you know, after all of this, all this time, Venom is sort of slowly making his way. It wasn't a drastic change because the the Flash Thompson uh, Venom series, you know, Flash was putting. Venom to good use. So there's this been this slow, gradual change, and now okay, we're finally here. Venom, the symbiote itself, Venom himself, not not uh, Flash or anybody else, but the the symbiote itself has had its mind re-linked up with his species, and he's 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 been he's fixed. He's fixed himself to where he's no longer mad. Well, because this Venom thing was starting to happen, and I hadn't yet read the new Venom series, I was under the impression that we were going back to the old roots of Venom, where he's crazy, lethal protector, villain, whatever. And that none of the shit I read in the Guardians issues counted anymore, which I was surprised I was even mad at in the first place because I didn't think I had that much of a connection to that story. But apparently I did. I really liked that, I guess. And I reread it the other day, and I guess it, I, I really liked it a lot more than I remembered. But that's not the case. When you see Venom in the opening pages of the first issue of this this new Venom series, he's looking for a host. And when he finds this Lee Price guy, what Lee Price is able to make Venom do, Venom is really against it. He does not want to kill. He does not want to hurt. He doesn't want to do any of that, but Lee is, uh, you know, kind of forcing his will onto Venom. So obviously, the stuff I read in Guardians does count. But I've been rambling for a minute. Uh, <laughs> what do you What do you think of uh, this upcoming Venom? St- Are you reading any Marvel stuff, actually? Actually, I was thinking about that as you were talking. I don't. Th- actually, the only thing I I read a little bit. I read a little bit of the. Uh, the clone conspiracy, the end of that, uh, and I, I have to remember if I put this on my pull list because I know that they're bringing Norman Osborn back, which is an easy an easy way to bring to grab me to get me into read Spider Man, even though I'm kind of I'm kind of 
ready for a new creator on Spider-Man. I think that's kind of he's been on that book I think way too long at this point, which is probably <coughs> what, which is probably what a lot of people thought about Jeff Johns, too. You know, I probably I probably feel what's what Slot right? It's Dan Slot, I think. Yeah. That I probably feel towards Dan Slot how a lot of people, not me, but a lot of people felt towards Jeff Johns, not be, not in the sense that we were we were getting tired, we were getting. Jeff John's fatigue, but the people that were just absolutely sick of him, and we need a new, you know, let's get rid of him. That's kind of how I'm feeling with Slot. I don't really like a lot of what he's done with that book. Yeah, I mean, he certainly is. He's had a lot of high-profile events, and I'm sure he's helped their sales. But I don't like a lot of what he's done in the last few years. So I, I did read the end of when they were bringing, you know, trying to reestablish Ben Riley as Ben Riley. I might, might read Scarlet Spider at least to start with. Um. And, but other than that, no, I honestly think a lot of Marvel's gone to crap. I mean, I think I think Marvel's really gone off the gone off the deep end in a lot of their storylines and the whole Captain America. But what, what is it? What's the name of that Secret Empire? What is the hell? Oh, where he's a Hydra agent. Yeah, well, that's that's their like their their big the next big event, which nobody in all which in all honesty, you probably have about friggin' like fifteen percent of the comic book readers who really give a shit about that event to begin with. And not that not that Marvel's events have been paying off to begin with. I'm, I mean, so many people hated uh, Civil War two, and you know it's just like Marvel's really spit the bit on a lot of these major events. So I I think and this is one that no I mean who the hell cares? I mean this is like for no matter how where it ends up, they're kind of like parallaxing you know Steve Rogers for and, they, and nobody wants to see that you know and I don't give a shit. I mean if nobody wants to see it, then I mean it's. I don't care how you explain it away. It's just it's bullshit. I mean, but I think I am not really happy with Marvel. You know, it's the complete opposite of the movie versus TV. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they are they are the kings and they have everything rolling and they have a good direction and a good plan. And in DC, probably couldn't get out of its own way if their life depended on it. I think DC, all for all their faults, is a little better from a comic book perspective as far as what they're giving people at this point overall. Uh, so no, I'm. Not, I mean, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for Venom fans. I'm not. The what you're, the way you're describing, you know, this new this new host. I don't know if that really that wouldn't thr- that wouldn't draw me in. If I was gonna. Run well, it's, it's it's it's. I don't think it's meant to because it sounds like Brock is back. It's starting with the 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 big oversized Venom 150. So so if so, it looks like this Lee Price guy. Is going to be only like a flash in the pan. I know, but it's still kind of hard to necessarily pump a lot of people up to. But I did like you mentioned I because that was a question I was going to have. You mentioned Matt Gargan, otherwise known as the Scorpion, uh, that, which which is in this issue. Yes, that um, that was good that they because he was a host, right? He was the host for a while, so. Well, yes, um, it's it's not just that. Um, so Gargan is actually in the. Um, in this current Venom series now, um, uh, he's one of, uh, so I don't want to spoil anything, but black cat is in this and she's got like a little crew. She's kind of like the queen of crime or whatever. It's almost like if, 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 uh, Catwoman started her own little empire, which, you know, black cat and Catwoman, you know, there's a lot of similarities you can draw there anyways, but Gargan is one of her like enforcers and like I said, I haven't picked up Venom number four or on yet, but at the very last page of Venom number three, I have it in my hands right now, is um, Gargan 
uh, opening up a secret panel and there's a scor- there's scorpion armor right there. But it's like it's not that it's not the old school scorpion suit. It looks like something Tony Stark whipped up. Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a huge bit of scorpion armor. It's kind of cool looking, kind of weird, but Gargan is in this already. That's good. Yeah. It's yeah, pretty cool looking. Yeah, I mean it'll it'll be interesting of what you know how they shake up the status quo. Obviously in a way it would make sense too if they're really going to be pushing a Venom movie to try to increase the profile of Venom. Mm-hmm. So, uh I just sent you a photo yeah, by the way. I know, I'm just trying to I'm trying to get to it. Because I'd close. There we go. Let's see. It's not. There we go. Wow. That's 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 extremely clunky. <laughs> but yeah, there's uh, there's Scorpion's armor right there on the the very last page of Venom number three. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> you can't say it doesn't look big and intimidating. <laughs> I guess they they gave him the pincers. I guess that's something. I mean, ho- hopefully he's still got it. I mean he's got. Has to have the tail in there somewhere that you can't really see. You take away the tail, it defeats the whole point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the tail's there. You can see it over his head. Yeah, it's it's not your it's not your father, Scorpion, though. Yeah, see, I remember that. I, I I remember like the old school Scorpion armor where it was like the, there wasn't actually like a stinger at the end. It was almost like a billy club. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah, that's 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 class. That's classic Scorpion, just like you know Tarantula with the spikes in his boots. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I I'm kind of old school with with Scorpion. I mean, and, and they and he's another character they futzed around with his his look and his armor so many different times that even before they venomized him, so. But it's it's cool that there's so many Spider-Man villains that are still around. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just really uh, I'm really looking forward to the Venom uh, stuff, seeing how that all plays out. I will say before we close out because we're going a little longer here than I thought we were going to, but um, I'm I'm excited for this comic stuff, no doubt about that. I'm worried about the movie, and the only reason I'm worried about the movie as of this moment is the release date. It's so fast. (laughs) Like, can you make a good movie that quickly? I don't know. (laughs) It's got me concerned. They would have, in order to meet that, they would have to have a lot more, be a lot further along than, than we know about. They would have to have, they would have to, even if it's not confirmed, they would have to have a lot of people they were looking for, for to cast. They would have to have people who, you know, maybe gave a verbal confirmation, something that, yeah, you know, I'm, depending on when you put it into motion, I'm, I'm interested, I want to do it. But either way, they, that's, for a big, for a relatively big movie, which is going to be expensive, I mean, unless they're going to, unless they're going to try to keep the budget somewhat contained, I don't mean super cheap, we're not talking like Roger Corman, Fantastic Four cheap. But unless they're going to try not to go super nuts with the budget, I don't know. You, it's you know we're we're pretty much in April now. They're going to have they have to unless the script unless the script is a lot closer to being done, or unless there's a draft. They already had a draft of the script that they liked, and they're doing a you know it's a polish and or a slight rewrite. But they're pretty much let's say they think they're three quarters of the way there. Still, that they would have to do a lot of. 
clearly this movie has to be cast in the next couple of months because, you again, you would think you would have to start filming in the fall in order to comfortably be able to meet a deadline in in next fall. So, but hmm. we'll see. We'll, we'll probably know in an... We'll probably know in the next few months. So. Yep. Yep. All right, man. Anything else you want to talk about? <coughs> Excuse me. No, I think that's. I think that's it for now. All right, guys. We will go ahead and close out the episode. Mark, how can people find us? Lanterncast.com. Go to lanterncast.com. Visit our website, our episodes, Dark Star reviews, Ring Cyclopedia episodes, blogs. You name it. Uh, email lanterncast at gmail.com for your comments and uh, episode suggestions. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so leave us positive reviews on whatever platform or platforms you listen to us on. And last but not least, if you'd like to, leave us a voicemail. 708-Lantern. 708-Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Uh, I won't be here next episode, but Mark and uh, and uh, Corwin have things in the bag for us. I'm, I've been told. So yes. uh, it's in the bag. The... T- t- <laughs> took us took us two bags, but we got it bagged. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that pans out. But uh, yeah, we got a we, we got a, a couple episodes in the works for you. So we will talk to you guys later. Good night, everybody. Good night.